This episode is brought to you by Greg Morris Cards, one of the largest sports card sellers on the planet. Greg sells over 80,000 vintage and modern cards every month, including basketball, football, baseball, hockey, all sports really, and even some non-sports cards too. On top of that, every raw card receives the same hand grading that collectors have put their trust in for over 15 years. What are you waiting for? Head on over to gregmorriscards.com auctions and check it out for yourself. What's up, everyone? This is episode 197 of the Wax Museum podcast, where I talk about all things basketball cards from past to present to future. This is your host, Kyle, and as always, you guys can find me throughout the week on social media. My Instagram is at Wax Museum Podcast, and my Twitter is at Wax Museum PC. Well, I want to say this we need some new basketball cards. And look, I know that's nothing new, especially for this show. But come on, Panini, we're already like 30% of the way through the current season. Uh, Meanwhile, when it comes to last season's releases, it seems like there's no end in sight, which is weird because you look at the release calendar, I think there's only one product posted for December, and that's Contender's Optic. Now, I saw a post on Ray Allen's Instagram this week where he's signing Eminence cards, so I'm assuming those are intended for the 2021 season as well. Can't we just cut some of this stuff and move on already? In the meantime, in this little hobby lull that we're in, people seem to be getting a little restless. All of a sudden, they're comparing the size of their PPP loans. Uh, Never a dull moment, I suppose. So today, I want to give you a little reprieve from all that. I've got a handful of pieces of mail I'd like to share with you real quick. And then more importantly, I want to share a fun conversation I had with a Pistons collector named Josh. You might know him as at Mitten State Collector. I really enjoy scrolling through his Instagram posts. And I have to say, after chatting with him, I appreciate them even more so now. And I think you will too. So you'll want to make sure to stay tuned for that. But first, I got to talk about the mail. And uh, the first envelope that I want to talk about this week came from the Indiana Pacers. So I definitely have to talk about that because it's not every week that I get an envelope from the Indiana Pacers. In fact, it's been a long time since I have. Now, a lot of my envelopes will have Pacers things in them, but not directly from the Pacers. So some of you might remember that I talked about trying to collect new Pacers rookie Benedict Matherin uh, in episode 192 and how collecting a new rookie can be a bit of a challenge. So my solution to that, instead of trying to buy you know, unlicensed Leaf stuff or college Panini stuff, I, I tr- was trying hard not to do that and not to over spend on that. Really not to spend at all on that, to be honest. So I decided, you know what? I'm going to make some custom cards. I'm going to send them to the team. If I get them out as soon as possible, the odds of me getting them back before he develops any real signing habits, I I figured they might be pretty good. So I sent those out on October 28th and um, I hadn't seen a return. And I I was starting to wonder a little bit, you know, maybe this isn't going to happen a month or so past. Well, Earlier this week, I got an envelope from the Pacers. I opened it up. My cards were in there. They were, in fact, unsigned. My original envelope was in there as well. But they added in a signed 4x6 photo. 
And they also had their little certificate of authenticity in there. So I can, even though that's not my cards, I consider that to be a huge win. Very happy about that. I mean, just the cost of making the cards in, in a couple postage stamps was all that it set me back. And it made for an exciting mail day. So um, I put that up on my YouTube. You'll want to check that out. I've got the whole, you know, me taking the cards out, not knowing what was going to happen, the whole suspense, all of it's there if you want to see more of that. Now, I also got um, uh, three or four really nice care packages this week. I've gotten a lot of nice stuff from listeners. And, and I just want you to know, I don't take that for granted. Uh, I really appreciate everyone taking the time to do that. So I want to go through, even though I've shouted these people out already on social media, I want to thank Jeff, who goes by at Dallas Maverick Sports Cards. He sent me an exclusive TJ Warren that I hadn't seen, and then some illusion stuff for a binder that I've been thinking about making, and that might be the final push. I might actually make that page. I think I'm going to put old uh, showcase cards in there from the 90s and 2000s, and then the illusions cards in there because they kind of look similar. I know they're not definitely not the same quality, but they look similar enough. I think that'd be a cool way to narrate the history of the franchise, or at least portions of it. Uh, the next package came from Matt, aka Sports Card Legend. He sent me a really good mix of Pacer stuff, including a variation of the George Hill stat line patch, uh, or really jersey relic, I should say, that I talked about recently. This one was one I hadn't seen before, even though it was serial numbered with some of the rest of them. It's an all yellow piece, so I thought that was pretty cool. I like different stuff like that. Another listener, Denny's Cards, sent me a nice variety of cards that he had pulled, including a couple of really nice Chris Duarte rookies. One of them was from Obsidian. I really liked that one. They were both numbered 50. On top of that, he added a Taco Bell gift card because he said, someone needs to pay Kyle in burritos, so uh, trust me, that will be put to good use, so thank you, Denny. And then finally, I received a customized Pacers Rip Gods, yes, you heard that right, Rip Gods Repack product ordered by a listener named John. And I'll be honest, up until this week, it looked like the Rip Gods were, you know, they had disappeared. Maybe they were victims of some sort of tragic breaking accident. We hadn't really seen or heard from them in a while. Or maybe they just lost their password then when they got a new phone this summer. You know, who knows what happened. Anyway, though, they're back. And John ordered a custom repack from them. And if this doesn't make sense, you'll see a picture of it on social media. You'll see the video on YouTube. But it had like six different packages in it for me. Uh, all nice Pacer stuff that had been curated. And then also a, a CD of some NBA guys that were trying their hardest to cross over into the music world. Uh, it's just a, a perfect time capsule of, of the 1994 of that era. And it was called B-Ball's Best Kept Secret. So I got a good kick out of that. Even though it was Rip God's branded. Um, thank you, John. I know you put a lot of time and effort into creating that. And, and I got a good kick out of that as well. And really everyone that uh, sent to me this week did, they put a lot of time and effort into that. I appreciate that. All of them were posted online in some capacity, be it social media or YouTube already, but I wanted to make sure to thank these guys once again. All right, before I move into today's conversation, I want to take a moment to remind you how you can support this show. As you guys know, there are costs that go into producing a podcast. One of my goals is to always keep the show itself free. As a result, I've signed up for affiliate programs with eBay and Fanatics. If you'd like to help support the show in this way, go to www.waxmuseumpodcast.com, click whatever store you need to go to, shop as planned, and the show gets a small commission in the process. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. Hustle. Grind. Spam, 
Profit. We're the Whip Gods. You're listening to the Wax Museum Podcast. Okay, so joining me today is someone that collects a team and a player that I absolutely hated for years. Uh, with that being said, the two of us get along quite well, and I'm excited to finally have him on the show. You might know him from Instagram as at Mitten State Collector, where he mentioned in a post a couple weeks ago that an episode of this show made him stop his lawnmower. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Maybe the two of us will stop some mowers with our conversation today. Josh, how's it going, man? Doing really well, Kyle. Thanks for having me on. I've been listening to your show for a while, and it's kind of weird to be on uh, on this side of the process. Some of guests will reach out to me and they've said, you know what, I, I hate listening to myself. I said, well, welcome to my turmoil from week to week in editing, right? I don't, otherwise I try not to listen to it, but editing, got to listen to it. Okay. So um, even though we've chatted quite a bit, like a lot of guests that I've had on the show, I've never really asked you about your Pistons fandom or your collecting origins. Now with a name like Mitten State, I think it's safe to assume that you're from Michigan. Is that correct? Yeah, born and raised. And, uh, you know, if everyone would just pull up their handy map of Michigan, which doubles as probably your right hand, you can point <laughs> right about to the middle of the palm. And that's where I live now. So uh, you latched on to the Pistons uh, above other things, above the Tigers, above the Lions, right? Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that today. We're going to have to get some context, though, before we get too far in, because the Pistons have a lengthy history that predates the Mitten State. There are probably some people listening today that don't know that the team originated in Fort Wayne, Indiana, but that was long before our time. So just for reference, Josh, how old are you? You don't look like, I know everyone can't see you. You don't look like a Fort Wayne Pistons fan. Uh, I am not. Um, no, I'm uh, 32, going to be 33 uh, next month. Definitely not a Fort Wayne fan, but that also puts you kind of in a unique spot because you missed out on the bad boys titles. Um, come to think of it, I don't even think you weren't even alive, right? Because that was eighty nine and ninety. Yeah, but for uh, for the ninety, I was alive, but not uh, not really close attention. Like like two months old, maybe somewhere around that range, right? Um, so you were there. Maybe you did see it, and you just don't remember it. But I'm sure some of that enthusiasm, though, from those teams carried over. Um, and, I, and I don't want to assume though, but how exactly did you become a basketball fan? Yeah, growing up um, in. In Michigan, you know, really, if you if you, you were lucky that you had all four pro sport teams, you know, right in Detroit there. And um, I was actually born in Detroit. My folks, uh, we lived down there for several years after I was born, then moved up to um, uh, Saginaw, which is significant for a couple of NBA related reasons, which I'll, I can talk about later. But um, really, it just came down to all four of those sports they were on when the season was right. And for whatever reason, basketball just stuck out to me as a game I really just loved watching. Uh, I know people call soccer the beautiful game, but to me, if you're watching basketball played at a high level, it's fantastic. It's magical. And, and so that's really what stuck out to me was watching the Pistons. And um, luckily for us, the first person I remember on a Pistons team is Grant Hill. And prime Grant Hill was, I mean, he, everyone, I think, knows at least casually what he was doing before he had his unfortunate injuries. Um, and so it's pretty easy to fall in love with a sport that has a, a, and a team that has someone of the caliber of Grant Hill. It's interesting. We'll get into it later, but you ended up collecting a player that was traded for Grant Hill. 
Now I said, I, I mentioned the Tigers and the Lions out there. I, I just realized you said four sports. Uh, hockey is so far in the back of my mind. So sorry to all the Red Wings fans out there, all the hockey fans out there. Okay, so now that we have all that background, let's steer things more towards cards. Uh, take some time to sort of narrate your hobby history for us. I'd love to know a lot more about that. Yeah, absolutely. My um, my introduction to cards came through. Um, I mean, my, my dad collected casually when he was a kid, but um, my uh, my uncle Bill um, was a huge is a huge baseball fan. Collected cards um, through starting the late '60s all the way through the or through the mid '80s. And um, I actually have, I'm looking at off screen here, a lot of his uh, collection that's sitting in a couple giant boxes I've been sorting through um, a little bit more intentionally in the last couple of years. And um, going over to his house when I was growing up, he would always have some, you know, some of them he was going through. He was uh, very meticulous in sorting and took really good care of his cards, uh, you know, for the age when you're not going to get a 10, you know, and you're not going to gem anything if you graded it. But it wasn't in the bicycle spokes. Um, and so really seeing how he approached his collecting of putting together sets and organizing by teams. And that really appealed to me and just like helping him sort cards was oddly calming. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's one of those, like, if you know, you, you know, feelings, right. <laughs> um, if, if, if you're, you know, if you enjoy putting pieces of cardboard in a numerical order, you may be a card <laughs> collector, right? Like that's right. Um, one of those things. And that, that was something I enjoyed doing. And uh, as I got older, you know, took my lawn mowing money, um, we were lucky to have a, a card shop not too far from where I grew up. And so I would use uh, my allowance and card mowing or lawn mowing money uh, to buy cards, usually early 90s, late 80s packs, the you know, your classical junk wax era packs, just because you get the most cards for your buck and still recognize a lot of the players' names. So for me, if I got a Detroit player, you know, whether it's 88 Dunross baseball or <laughs> uh, early 90s, um, you know, skybox for basketball, it was all it was all the same to me. It was just fun to pull someone from uh, from the Pistons, from the Tigers, or whoever the uh, the hot player of of, uh, of that set was. Okay, so continuing on from there, so you know, you're growing up, you're going to the card shop. This is kind of the part of of everyone's story where life gets in the way, and I don't want to assume. Uh, tell me, how did you navigate from there to where you are now? Because obviously, there it's it's progressed. Yeah, I I tapered off um, actually probably earlier than a lot of other folks um, I know in the sense that it was probably like a freshman in high school when I actually dropped more off of buying um, new cards. And that was because I was involved in playing a couple different sports and even you know eventually getting my first job and just you know working and getting ready towards college and you know all of those things and uh, on top of that in Michigan I think a lot of folks our age Kyle remember the recession and all that of 2007 mm-hmm. 2008 and in Michigan it was really starting even a couple of years before that and you know local shop the cart local card shop had closed up by then um, and so it was kind of one of those I didn't really have a place to go get cards easily I wasn't on eBay um, back then I wasn't really using message boards except to get like addresses for the for through the mail autos mm-hmm. Um you know, I wasn't super savvy um, in that space. And so when that kind of easy access dried up, I just kind of pivoted over to, you know, doing other things. And so my collection sat pretty much untouched in my <laughs> my parents' basement until 
uh, about five, six years ago. I had my interest re-sparked because a friend of mine um, who was a, we, we were roommates for a while and he um, got a job in the Detroit area. He ended up with playoff tickets uh, in 2016 uh, when the Pistons were playing uh, the Cavaliers. And we had high hopes that we might be able to scratch out a playoff win on, uh, and when they came back to the Palace. And we were uh, very wrong about that. But in hindsight, we got to see LeBron James at probably his playoff peak of, you know, uh, you know, height of his dialed in on bringing a title back to Cleveland, uh, laser focus. And so in hindsight, that's kind of cool to say we be able to see one of those games, but um, more relevant to collecting is that that got me thinking more about like, oh yeah, like LeBron, he's still in the league. And, you know, I, when I left, he was still just a, a rookie. Um, I shouldn't say left when I stopped actively collecting, he was still a rookie, but and so I, next time I was in my parents' house, I got some of the cards out. I took them back um, to my home and I started going through them and it just kind of snowballed from there. I'm trying to think of that 2016 Piston squad. Um, and, and I guess the way I do that is go back through sets and cards. And I can't, I cannot even think who was on that 2016 Piston squad. Very forgettable squad, I guess. Maybe you've got some of those. Uh, there you go. Uh, oh, is that Tobias? Yeah, Tobias Harris. That was the year that we had uh, Brandon Jennings, um, mm-hmm. that he had that spurt where it was like, oh, this is the guy that was a first round draft pick. He's killing it. He's crushing it. Uh, and then he got hurt, traded for Reggie Jackson, thought we had some good chemistry with him. Um, Tobias Harris, I thought was a, he is a really good player. I thought he'd be good with the Pistons. And of course we got Boban out of that deal as well. And <laughs> that was exciting. Um, but yeah, that was in, in high, it was one of those scrappy teams. I think that every franchise, like you, you in hindsight, like, Oh, it was a fun team mm-hmm. because none of those guys should have worked together. <laughs> and, you know, it wasn't a, a fun team in the way that the 2004 Pistons were a fun team. <laughs> right. Primarily being successful. Yeah. Uh, the thing that counts the most, but, but in hindsight though, it was, you know, it was a team that if you turned them on, you're going to be entertained. Um, in, in, in a way that unfortunately I don't feel entertained by our current, <laughs> our current squad. Well, yeah, we're, we're in a similar boat there. Was Josh Smith on that team? For some reason, I, I am thinking of Josh Smith around that time. That was afterwards. Um, so 2016, I believe was the last year of the Van Gundy regime where okay. he was both coach and GM. Um, that may have been the build of effing wall okay yes uh, yes yeah. now 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 it's all coming back to me okay yeah so um you know you have the advantage you came back right before you know a couple well really a couple years before this whole zion boom and pandemic boom and um you know just in those few years alone i'm sure you were able to amass a, a pretty good head start on what you know we were about to face that we had no idea now, um, like everyone else, so I'm sure it took some time to figure out how you wanted to focus your collection. Uh, and for all I know, maybe you're still feeling that out and that's okay. But when someone visits your Instagram page, it seems like you got it figured out because they'll see your bio, which states collector of Ben Wallace, uh, plus 90s and 2000s Detroit Pistons, and then occasional posts of other Detroit players. And I, I guess that last part kind of gives you the leeway there if you want to post a Seku or a a Sadiq Bay. I don't think I've seen any Cade on there, but um, you know, maybe, maybe something in the future. I don't, are you excited about Cade or how, how are you feeling about Cade right now? 
you know, I, I was a big fan of that pick. Um, I thought Cade has, you know, it's just, I mean, right. You're only seeing guys, hopefully a little bit polished on, on their media um, appearances. And, and he was polished in, in, in a way that I thought showed that he was mature enough to handle the role of like, Hey, you're a number one pick on a team that has not had mm-hmm. much to be happy about for a long time, but also has a very strong history and legacy of championship aspirations and, or, and uh, a lot, you know, a lot of hall of famers, a lot of guys from the 2004 team still heavily involved in um, the Pistons organization. If they're not leading another organization, I mean, you see Darvin Ham is coaching the Lakers um, shout out to Darvin Ham, who is a native of Saginaw. Uh, so I okay. um, was a well aware of him and his basketball talent before he even went to Texas Tech. Also, you know, Chauncey over in Portland now. So there was a lot of guys, you know, on that team that had strong leadership. And I think Cade can continue that tradition. Um, I just, I'd like to see, I don't know, I just, there, there's something missing right now. And I'm not sure what it is. It's, um, it's something that you'd like to just see somebody be able to, get a spark and just really, you know, be able to have that take over a game mm-hmm. um, mentality. And I think, I think Cade can get there. So I, I'm, I'm optimistic about that. Jaden Ivy has been very exciting so far. Um, so that, that tandem has a lot of promise, but one thing I will say is maybe a, a warning uh, to folks who are thinking about investing in Pistons. Just don't do it. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the Seku you know, mentioned Seku Dumbuya. Mm-hmm. He was as pissed in that I, you know, was really, I, you know, looked at his first couple of games. He looked very good for a kid who was 18, right? Like only coming over a couple months in the league and starts, you know, dropping double doubles against the likes of uh, Kawhi Leonard and LeBron James. And you think this kid's got a bright future. Well, it can flame out pretty quickly if they're not in the right organizational structure and in the Pistons, the way they're building, I don't think you're going to see a guy who's going to be a 25 and 10 type player. I right. think you're going to see a lot of guys who are in that like six, 15 to 20 points per game range, but any one of them can go off on a given night, which is mm-hmm. going to make them very appealing to people who want to invest in a piston because they think, wow, uh, you know, Sadiq Bay dropped 50 points last season. And, uh, mm-hmm. you know, where, where is that this year? Right. Like, right. It's not, it, it's just the way that the team has always been built. Even back in the bad boys era, Isaiah Thomas was a certified superstar relative to his peers and, it's next to no hobby love uh, right. in the sense, you know, outside of Detroit fans, I would say. So it's a little bit of an interesting situation as it relates to the disconnect, I think, between the team and the success that the team has had and the individual players. And then also how that relates in the hobby. And I'm happy that they're not investable, right? Like that makes right. it. Really it's great for you. Out. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's fantastic. I, I love being able to go out and find cards at reasonable prices. Yeah, well, especially now, you know, with Cade going down, you've got Ivy. Ivy's numbers are probably going to be a little bit inflated because there's no Cade there at the moment. So you're running into that two years in a row. Uh, I'm kind of tasting that for the first time because I haven't really had a Pacers rookie in a long time that I've been super excited about. Even Paul George was not a big deal. You know, he was the number 10 pick. He scored like 10 points per game his rookie year. But Benedict Matherin, you know, he's looking good. And I'm like, I'm already looking at these few cards that are out there. I know I talked about on the show already, but I'm like, man, this is this is going to cost me. And and it's there's a lot of people still in that invest mindset. So I hope those of you that are buying them, I hope you really like Benedict Matherin because the Pacers and the Pistons, kind of what you described there is exactly the same thing that I've seen with the Pacers. So it's interesting. Our franchises 
are very similar uh, in a lot of ways. But for right now, we don't see Cade or we don't see Jaden on that Instagram line. So we're going to you know, just move aside from them for right now. And let's go through your three PCs in order. So you've got Ben Wallace, right? That's the first one that we'll start with here. And from reading your post, I believe there's a Ben Wallace binder that exists somewhere. I I, I hear about the binder. I don't, um, occasionally I think I see a page of it. Now you're holding it up here. Okay, so we know it exists. Tell me about what uh, Ben Wallace cards you pursue and um, you know what specifically makes its way into that binder. Sure. So when I got back, I really was kind of all over the place. A lot of it was just like, I, the first time I jumped on eBay looking for cards was more to see just what my uncle's coll- cards, my uncle's collection, what they might be worth. And then, of course, eBay is like, hey, we see you're looking at cards. Might we suggest? And then any number of related things. And actually, for once, good or bad, um, they were actually related to what I was looking at, which is mostly Detroit players. Right. And so, of course, you go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, the algorithms aren't always all that bad, unfortunately. It, it's it's very true. And actually, they've done a pretty decent job on Instagram as well. A lot of people I talk to regularly now, because um, I know I was fairly late to the Instagram game, I think. Um, I was kind of a loner when I came back. I really just enjoyed doing it for myself. And I'd, you know, kind of lurk on Blowout or back when Beckett was still had their message boards, I'd lurk on there. Because it was just something I enjoyed doing for myself, right? I enjoyed sorting. I enjoyed doing all of that. And so once I came across some cards of Ben, I was like, oh, this is pretty cool. And it eventually sent me down to a very fortuitous rabbit hole because I came across a, uh, a listing on eBay for one of Ben Wallace's Logo Man cards. Mm. And I was like, whoa, this is super cool. It's super rare. It's, it's shiny. It's all of the things that like, you know, 13 year old me would have not been able to afford or even find back when it would have came. Well, I've been a little bit embarrassed. And, and so it happened to be fairly soon after I joined Instagram and like less than a week after I saw this card, I saw the account that had the card listed. And it's, uh, I want to shout out big Ben PC, Jake, um, like quintessential hobby friend that, you know, PC is the same people that you do. He's been so helpful in like getting my collection in a <laughs> more orderly fashion. And he kind of was part of the inspiration for the Ben binder because he's working on and is almost completed except for a couple one of ones the entire tops and bowman run of ben wallace's cards from his first uh tops um issue in uh 1999 all the way through to when tops lost the license in 2009 and um seeing his stuff i was like man that's a really cool project i'd like to you know emulate that and so i started off with just the tops chrome cards um, and the refractors and, and then the golds. And then um, earlier this year, I think it was because I finished my gold run and I just hadn't really seen any new Topps Chrome Ben cards that I didn't have because the only ones I need are very rare. I need this 2006 X-Fractor, which is out of 10. And right. 2005, uh, 2008 uh, Red Refractor out of five. And I mm-hmm. just, I mean, I'm-, I'm Those don't I'm, show up. Yeah, do I, I rarely ever see any of those for any player. Yeah, you know, and and I actually I saw uh, the second ever copy of the 2006 X Fractor on another account um, about a month ago, and a person wasn't selling. So, 
Uh, I, 20% of those are now locked up <laughs> to find one of the other eight. But, but anyways, he, he was somebody, once I saw how he had his collection organized with that and that focus, I was like, you know, he's had a lot of fun putting together his set. I want to try that challenge as well. I expanded mine a little bit beyond his. He was just focused on the base cards and then the um, accompanying parallels. I went as far as to do the, uh, if I can find them, any of the first um, three years of his tops cards, they have the MVP promote promo challenge, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know if folks are super familiar with Ben Wallace's career, not really an MVP candidate in 2009 or no. 1999, 2000, 2001. So I'm not sure how many of those are really out there. I think it's fairly common knowledge. It's estimated around a hundred were printed mm-hmm. of each player and probably significantly fewer than that are floating out somewhere. I always wonder if I pulled one of those as a kid, it, it probably got tossed or it became a bookmark or something, you know, that kind of did those kind of things. Yeah. So getting back to your original question, Kyle, yeah, the, the Ben Binder though is really just, it's all of his tops and Bowman, both paper and chrome cards. I have them arranged sequentially and I'm hoping I even, you know, I, I, I haven't, I didn't leave room for one of ones in there because um, i not super optimistic that I would uh, be able to land any. Jake's got him right. He he does. He's he's got a tremendous collection of um, of the one of ones, and actually part of our negotiating over uh, who who collects what in there is that he he has five of the super fractors for Ben. So like I was like I'm not going to fight him for those because he and he's also been collecting for a long time. You know I I know I respect his collection and him way too much to try to bid him up on any of those because something like that really deserves to be together. But, uh, but yeah, that's the Ben binder. So um, you mentioned Ben collectors and I was going to bring that up later. So I might as well bring it up now. Uh, It sounds like at least the two of you have a pretty good working relationship and, and, you know, all right, I'll go for this or I like this stuff more. Uh, But I know there's probably a handful of, of, you know, big Ben Wallace collectors. So uh, for the rest of them, are you, do you have a big group or is it just like, let's, you know, me and Jake work together and then we duke it out with the rest of them on eBay. How does that work? Uh, yeah. I mean, you make it sound like it's collusion, um, but it, <laughs> not, it, not it collusion. Yeah, it, no, but, uh, um, but there's, I, there's a handful of other guys. I know that, that they're primarily collect their primary collecting focus is Ben Wallace. Um, but most of the folks I know who are buying or going after Ben Wallace cards are Pistons team collectors. Mm-hmm. And they're only interested in, um, in Ben's Pistons years cards. And it's kind of interesting because if you don't mind me jumping over to some of the touching on the nineties, part of my collection. Yeah, go ahead. Now, as many people may or may not know, the 2004 Pistons, only one of them was drafted by the Pistons, and that's Tayshawn Prince. Um, the other four all came over via trade or free agent signing. Or were gifted to them yeah. in the case of Rashid Wallace, but we won't you know, yeah. go into all that. Yeah, thank you to the Hawks. Uh, that, was a good, that was a good rental for them um, and for us. Um, but um, and, and so because none of them were drafted by the Pistons, um, a lot of the Pistons collectors don't really go for their rookie stuff or their their car, those other four starters from the first couple of years of their careers. And since I don't mind having rookie cards, period, no matter what their team, um, that's kind of left things with a little bit less competition to lock down some of the more interesting rare cards. Um, for those players and so that's kind of how I fell into some of the 90s stuff I didn't set out to collect it originally even when I started out buying packs and such um, 
uh, the shop I went to was pretty small. They didn't have, you know, we weren't, I wasn't lucky enough to just glimpse upon, you know, a PMG red in, in the display case or, or have, you know, boxes of, you know, Skybox premium, you know, laying around on their shelves. They, they were a pretty low key affair. So I didn't really see a lot of those cards until later on, until maybe 2018, 2019. And, and just seeing the price tags attached to them kind of scared me off at first and also not really wanting to deviate from my, you know, early on Ben Wallace and other Pistons from the 2014 from collecting them um, during their playing years in Detroit. Mm -hmm. So um, that kind of opened up that lane. And then as I got a little bit more confident in my collecting and kind of understanding what cards were truly rare and I may or may not see again, I've decided, well, I'm going to start taking the leap to try to lock down some of these rare cards and also the general pandemic boom and interest in card collecting pushed up values of some of my uncle's stuff, the vintage stuff that mm -hmm. uh, allowed me to take those and consolidate, you know, to um, some of these other really rare cards. And I'm incredibly lucky that things played out as they did, because I mean, it's the, the, the high end world like that is, is, is just a totally different animal. I'm not mm -hmm. super competent in, in, um, in that space. And, you know, it's something where I'm like, man, it's really cool to have these cards, but like my, I love being in the lane of a of a 2004 Pistons team collector, and then focusing on Ben Wallace's entire playing career. That's where I'm most comfortable, and I think that's where I'm going to keep hanging out as as a collector in the coming years. Yeah, we we referenced earlier the fact that you came back before the pandemic, and then now also having your uncle's um, his old cards. It's kind of like card equity. That really, even though prices went up for everything else, you had this card equity that a lot of people that were just coming in didn't have. So uh, that worked out well for you and you used it to build your PC. Now, you mentioned that you collect the duration of Ben Wallace's career. Uh, you talked about the rookie stuff. You talked about the first couple of years where I, I think he was with Washington and then with Orlando. But um, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked Vinny, the Patrick Ewing collector, where I, you know, I said, Hey, you know, what do you think about the Sonic stuff and the, the magic stuff? So for you, it would be more so the, uh, Cavs and Bulls stuff. I don't, he didn't have any son's cards. He was only there like three weeks. So, or His maybe he did. Son's uniform though. It's, he is. It's, okay. Tell me about that one. I'm not familiar with that. So the 2009 is, uh, one of my favorite cards. It's so, uh, very interesting. So he's, he's pictured in a Cavs uniform. Mm-hmm. It's listed as a member of the Phoenix Suns. Okay. But he played the 2009-10 season in Detroit. Right. Which so all, both of the things that are on the card are not true. Right. <laughs> um, that, so it's that very, surprises very, very, me. very fitting that that's his last card in the tops set. Yeah. Um, it's just kind of this mishmash of, you know, of, of identities. And, um, and I really don't mind collecting him regardless of what uniform he's wearing to me the appeal of ben wallace is that he is um, by far the most accomplished undrafted player in the modern era he has i mean he he overcame a whole ton of obstacles i mean even you know even now there's a little bit of like revision going around around, around during his playing days, you know, he's built up being six, nine and all of this. And people are like, he's actually closer to like six, seven, which is even yeah. more impressive that basically you have a guy who's built, who's the size of a small forward 
that was defending, you know, the last hurrah of the dominant post players, your, mm-hmm. your Shaqs, your Yaos, Dikembe Mutombo, you know, all of those guys. And, you know, it just kind of grows your respect even more for someone like that because, you know, the 96 draft class is famously ridiculously comically stacked, even amongst the guys who people don't really remember as much, like uh, John Wallace, for example. Mm-hmm. Still a tremendous player, had a great career, you know, and and so there was um, there was just a lot going on there, and so him being connected to that um, rookie cohort is how I'll phrase it, not draft okay. class, rookie cohort of '96, um, is another just another great tie into some basketball history, and um, I I just enjoy that. And one of the things I think probably might make me a little bit unique as a Pistons fan is when Ben left after the 0506 season um, to sign in Chicago. Um, I really didn't fault him for that. And I also Mm -hmm. didn't fault the Pistons for letting him go, even though wasn't in hindsight, it really worked out great for either player aside for the money um, that Ben got that he deserved, like fully earned that big payout, but also for the Pistons, probably a smart move not to pay a 30 at the time going on 32 year old undersized center uh, giving him a long, right. long-term deal, you know, notoriously in the most probably physically demanding position on the court. And the league's moving more towards offense. It doesn't necessarily fit his style. So yeah. And, and you know, and it's hard to, to look at the Pistons going out in the conference finals, those next couple seasons and thinking, man, if Ben had been there, could they have gotten back uh, to the NBA finals and had one more shot at winning it? It's a tempting scenario. Um, but I, I ultimately blame Darko more for that than, <laughs> uh, than I do uh, Ben Wallace. Well, eventually Ben did make it back to Detroit, though, for his final three seasons, this time wearing the number six. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Panini really loves those number six photos still. Uh, it just it's weird to me. And and I get I didn't realize until I looked it up that he was there three years wearing that number uh, it just felt like such a short time, but I, it's weird. Every time I see one of those cards, you know, maybe they already have the rights to those photos and they just don't want to buy new ones, but uh seems like they use a lot of those. Am I, am I correct there? Yeah, they, they have used three on a couple of cards. Um, it's, it's very odd how they do it. The, the thing that bugs me more than six, honestly, is that every single photo they use of him is him dribbling or him shooting. And it's like, Two things Ben Wallace was not known for. He's not a great ball handler. I mean, he he was competent, but he wasn't, you know, he was he's right. not a Isaiah Thomas level guy. And also he was not known for his offense or his shooting. So I'd like to see them at least, you know, he he pulled on a lot of rebounds. You, you can find one of him <laughs> grabbing a board. But uh, but yeah, he 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 uh, he went to number six because Rodney Stuckey had uh, started wearing number three for the Pistons. Uh, well, while he was um, playing in Cleveland, I believe. And then he's also spoken um, in interviews about his admiration for Bill Russell. And so okay. six, I believe he hasn't come out and said explicitly that six was in honor of Russell. Um, but I, I think that's a pretty safe connection to make. Yeah, I'd, I'd never even thought of that. That's, that's pretty interesting. Um, so we've mentioned several avenues where you're looking for Ben Wallace cards, be it eBay, be it Instagram. Um, now, another place I know that you use is ComC because you mentioned it specifically in your Instagram. And this is where the mower part from the intro comes in. So connect the pieces for everyone here at home. What does your lawnmower have to do with ComC? 
So I do a lot of my uh, my podcast listening um, while I'm out mowing the lawn or doing yard work. And um, there was a, an insert that you mentioned, Kyle, as being one that you thought was particularly catchy or, or I have having a lot of eye appeal. And that's the, the Fleer Showcase Hot Hands insert. And uh, this was a card uh, that, or a set that Ben Wallace is in. And uh, I had been watching his card on ComC for some time. And, um, you know, the the individual who was selling it or had it listed on ComC had a fairly ambitious price in my mind for uh, for that card relative to other cards that I thought were of similar quality for Ben. And uh, you happened to mention it on uh, one of your shows. And as I was mowing, I was thinking, son of a gun. Someone else is going to be hearing this thinking, wow, wow, if Kyle thinks this is a pretty cool card, it probably is a pretty cool card. So I should go see what uh, what's out there uh, for this insert set. So I, I before, you know, my mind racing against an imagined foe, I stopped my mower. I jumped on my <laughs> my phone. And unfortunately, that card uh, had uh, had been sold on ComC uh, to some lucky individual. But uh, I was able to track on a copy earlier this year in a trade. So um, ultimately, it worked out. Well, I'm glad you got that. I'm also flattered that you feel like I have that kind of influence. But uh, thankfully, there's not a huge rush on Pacers cards. So I don't think it's too strong of an influence out there. Um, but whether you're driving or working or mowing, and you're listening to this episode, stop for a moment. This is probably as good a time as any to remind you that this show is brought to you in part by ComC.com, your home for buying, selling, and flipping all types of trading cards. Their consignment marketplace is home to over 28 million cards across all sports, genres, and eras. With the ComC.com account, you can purchase cards from different sellers over time, ship them home together later, or immediately reprice them for sale on the ComC marketplace. For more info, you can check them out on social media under the handle at Checkout My Cards. Okay, we'll come back to Ben in a little bit when we talk about the 2000s Pistons. And we're going to go through these next two a little bit quicker here, but because um, we've already touched on them some already. But the second collection in your profile mentions the 1990s Pistons. And to me, it's a guy, you know, that's a guy that you already mentioned. That's Grant Hill and only Grant Hill. Right. That's what I think of when I think of 90s Pistons. I think of the teal. But then I was thinking about some of those bad boys Pistons and I realized, you know, Isaiah and, and Bill and Beer played until 94. Dumars played until 99. Uh, then, of course, he was in the front office. So it's kind of convenient to overlap those there. And that allows you to collect guys from two different eras of Pistons basketball. So I, I'm I'm thinking that's the the mindset there. But I want you to talk a little bit more about that. And then tell me what kind of pieces of those players are you looking for? And honestly, I've moved a little bit off of um, my 90s kick more recently, just because of seeing how prices, I mean, I feel like one of the reoccurring themes for a lot of the card hobby in the last couple of years have been like, you thought those were high look at them now you know and that and repeat that every three to four months until you're like okay okay we, we've seen enough here at, at some point it's got to get to the top though yeah and um and, and i lucky to own you know at, at one point i had seven or eight cards that you know were, were incredibly rare cards that i would have never thought i could have owned and I had an opportunity to trade those for a, a 1997 Joe Dumars PMG Red. And um, it's the kind of deal where you're like, oh my gosh, I'm giving up so much. Um, but then you're also thinking, here's a card that when you set out to, you know, set out. And for me, setting out um, as a reinvigorated collector, you know, five years ago, 
one, you rarely see them, which is to me the biggest part, you know, that's one of the fun things, frustrating, but also fun things for me in the hobby is that doesn't matter how much money you have. If you can't find the card, it's the hunt, can't get the card. Right. And, you know, and, and so there is a little bit of an element of like being able to level the playing field there that if you, um, you know, if you're a nice, I think if you're, if you're fundamentally a nice person and respectful and, and try to be polite and helpful to others in the hobby, that'll come back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like to think that maybe that came back to me uh, in a very big way, <laughs> being able to pull off a deal like that. Um, and so that's a card that I'm going to hold on to really as long as I, I can uh, financially justify it. Um, I do have two young kids at home and I assume they have hopes and dreams of their own one day. And uh, if, if a card like that can facilitate their hopes and dreams, well, I think that would probably go farther towards, if, you know, Disney World than like uh, Ben Wallace X-Fractor ever will. So. And you get your you you have your time with that card, so yeah. Um, it's not like you didn't enjoy it, and you're giving up the entire essence of that card. So you know, just consider it that way. There's there's a time and a place for everything. So like you alluded to there, you know that it might be time to move on from that at some point. Yeah, and for me, with with a lot of the '90s, you know, Joe Dumars um, have memories of him as a player, and also you know a lot of credit. He's the architect of that 2004 team, and so um, he's also one of my dad's favorite players growing up. So there's a lot of reasons why I really like have like having a Dumars card. And I have some other really nice patches of him too. So it's not about you know for me, it's about if you can give up a specific card of a player. Okay, you know, if it makes sense for you to accomplish other goals, you should do it. And I, you know, for me, I have these other really nice cards of his that help tell the story of who he was and and also give me that tangible piece of memorabilia that's like, hey, here's a connection to a guy who did a lot of great stuff for your favorite team. And I think that's an important way to look at things is that, you know, ultimately the cards are helping jog these great memories. Mm-hmm. And the 2014 for me is just, I mean, it's one of those things that I just, it makes me just so it, it's a core sports memory for me as a fan. Sorry to rub it in. Uh, no, I, the, I, <laughs> I, I was about to say, I am incredibly jealous of, of the fact that um, you have a, a 2000s title. Sports is such a competitive thing. Collecting cards can, can be very competitive, but to to channel Rashid Wallace a little bit, both teams played hard uh, in that series. To try to put it in perspective, you know, it was the only title that we had there. We had some both Pacers and Pistons had some just phenomenal teams, phenomenal individual players, you know. And so, you know, as an adult, I can look back on that with a little bit more um, respect towards mm-hmm. what it took for both player you know both teams to even get there in the first place it's such an incredibly competitive league it's something i think that you have to be an adult to really understand you know for these guys it's their profession it goes beyond our simple fandom any level of appreciation we can have for their talents on the court for the entertainment they provide you know no matter how much we wanted as fans they wanted a thousand thousand times more as a player to you know be the one to accept the accept the trophy and some of that perspective is has helped um Help me get over a lot of the what ifs um, around, you know, mm-hmm. I mentioned, you know, drafting Darko and um, there's been some of that revisionist talk lately around, what if they drafted Carmelo and all of that and God forbid you get more rings. You brought us into the two thousands there and you mentioned all of the things that these guys do for us on the court. Let's talk about the time they went off the court uh, as far as our two teams go. Um, so we've got this, this brawl, right? I, I mean, I have to address it since you're on here. 
And um, I've got to hear your side of things, your perspective on the brawl, your hate for Reggie Miller. This is your time. You know, you post that card of, of Tayshawn blocking Reggie Miller. This is your time to uh, elaborate on that and tell me all about how much you hated him. You know, you know, again, this is in the moment of being a, what was I, 15 when that happened? I was incredibly bitter toward that Reiner Test 1 Defensive Player of the Year in 2004. Um, I will say to my dying breath that there is zero reason that he deserved that award other than narrative reasons. Uh, if you're looking at any of the stats, I think it's very clear to any impartial observer <laughs> uh, that, that Ben had a superior defensive campaign, but I, I digress. Um, and- and an amazing help defender in the middle, but I digress. Yeah, but no, I, right. I guess I mean he won what three out of four, right? He won four out of five. Four if out of five. Had, okay. If he, had, if he had gotten that way, and you know, to be to be fair to some other folks, later the last couple were a little bit closer in terms of you know uh, stats. But anyways, um, it would have been much cooler to say an undrafted guy was the only five consecutive, you know, five time consecutive winner of that award. Yeah. But, um, but again, that's all just you know things that neither here or there so anyways and going back to, to our test for a moment there's already a little bit of that sense of like man this guy didn't deserve it he's just you know he, he's antagonistic he, he's a troublemaker he's you know they couldn't beat him on the court so now they're trying to start stuff to derail them that way and you know listening uh you know listening to some of the more recent interviews from folks um uh, like on the all the smoke podcast mm-hmm. um they've they've talked to several players from both the pacers and pistons about that and I, you know it paints a more nuanced view of what really happened there i you know i i definitely after uh watching jermaine o'neill's documentary i'm much more receptive <laughs> to the to the idea that that the fans played a much bigger role in that than initially thought and probably initially reported you know being in michigan a lot of it was oh look at the guys on the court they couldn't you know yada 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 and um you know getting into some of the real details around you know failure to have appropriate security precautions for both players uh, and fans, I think it really is something that, you know, the NBA just couldn't anticipate. I mean, mm-hmm. think back to the eighties and before, I mean, it was I mean, across all the sports, it was very common to have fans and players mixing mm-hmm. at some level on the playing fields. And so, you know, they probably always anticipated that folks would be respectful of those boundaries. But when you have a heated rivalry and you have individuals who don't respect and don't maybe fundamentally more fundamentally don't understand the boundary between this is entertainment for us. This is the player's livelihood. Mm-hmm. You know, we need to make sure that is as heated as we are in the moment that we're also can calm ourselves that we're not escalating something to where it derails both of our teams. Right. And, and I will, and, and as a fan, I would have liked to have seen a full strength rematch, you know, throughout mm-hmm. the year um, to really determine who had the better team because it really is it really is a bummer um that that that, that played out like that but yeah likely as a fan i guess and and it um you know I, i've talked about it a lot before it, it disappoints me because i felt like we were better than the lakers team that you guys beat uh which you know there are some people there are people that will say no way but i i really do i felt like we were a better team even then so um it was kind of crushing to lose that and, and lose that in the fashion that that we did but uh 
It is what it is. And and like you mentioned, this time kind of gives you a different perspective because I was in high school when all that went down. I hated Ben Wallace. Oh, I hated the Pistons. Like I, I legitimately hated them. Now, when I say hate, it's more in a like a ha-ha basketball kind of way where, you know, I, I enjoy listening to their podcast. I actually collect some Pistons cards now, uh, I guess, just because the the memories are so strong. You know, I, I like having a, a feeling towards a card either way. So um, it, I've, I've certainly come around on this thing, but it is um, it is interesting to think about the what ifs nonetheless. So as we near the end of today's conversation, I want to give you a chance to talk about some of the centerpieces of your PC, which uh, I'm assuming will cover some of the subjects we've just talked about. And uh, a couple of days ago, I asked you to make a list of your three favorite cards. And we've not talked about that since. I, I basically said, hey, make your list. Don't tell me. And uh, now I'm ready to hear them. So let's go ahead and let's hear your three favorite cards here. Tell me a little bit about them, how you acquired them. Let's start with number three, and then we'll end with number one. Sure. So um, I, I really kind of struggled uh, to, to only pick three, of course. I mean, I think for anyone who's collected for any duration of time, there's a lot of great stories and the emotional component to uh, you know collecting is is just as strong as looking at the physical card the one that i'll say is is number three for me right now is it's a game worn letter from 2007 tops letterman of um, isaiah thomas um it's got the super fractor pattern um but it's one of the few true game worn full letter patches that he has um and so for me you know, Isaiah's, um, you know, the, the quintessential bad boy um, mm-hmm. from the 80s squad. And so that he represents that era for me. Um, and then I wanted to pick something that goes into the 90s. Um, and then I'll, my, my third card will be for the 2000s. So I thought that was a good way to kind of look, at, uh, look at, at my collection. Um, the thing that I wanted to represent for um, the 90s is my 1997 um, PMG Red Dumars. I, you know, it it feels, it feels cliche to say, oh, it's it's a PMG Red. It's of course it's a great card, but you know, for me, it was really what it represents in terms of me taking a leap as a collector to say I'm letting go of a lot of really great cards just to get one in return. And I've always approached collecting from the standpoint. I obviously I pay attention to value. I'm not going to give away a thousand dollar card to get a five dollar card in return but also wanting to be very intentional about the cards that I'm getting back and, and being able to recognize this is a card you can't acquire anyway. I, I don't have the cash to hand out over mm-hmm. <laughs> for one of these. And so for me, it's a tangible reminder that like sometimes you've, you've got to let things hurt a little bit in your collection, things that you're going to miss. Um, but then you have, of course, this great new card um, that hopefully fills most of that void um, mm-hmm. by the cards that are departing. Well, and then you might even see in the future that like, hey, that that actually, you know, aside, even though you've already you justified it in your mind, it might even make more sense uh, objectively later on. Uh, I, I had a card this week that there was a card that uh, I traded for at the national. It was a cash card trade and I gave up a lot and I even felt it and I knew I gave up a lot and the person I traded with, they knew that. I gave him a lot, but that was really the only way it was going to happen. Well, another copy of that finally comes up for sale uh, long after I made that trade and it went for higher than what I gave up. So, you know, at the end of that, I thought, okay, well, you know, I had already come to peace with what I had done to get it, but it's like, okay, maybe, maybe that wasn't so bad after all. 
you know, even when things are cooling off, that one went at an all-time high. So um, you've got that Dumars. He's in that teal uniform. You explained your connection to Dumars earlier. Uh, I think that was a great move on your part. And I love the all the story behind that. Well, let me uh, let me bend your ear for one more uh, slightly longer story for my number one card, which is a um, 2004 Fleer uh, Sweet Sigs um, Ben Wallace logo man. It's probably the most unlikely card in my collection. Um, and, I'll, and I'll try to give you a very brief version of why that is. And it's because I have this card came up on eBay uh, when I was out with my wife a couple of years ago because her refrigerator had broken. Okay. And so for once in my life, I was not glued to my phone looking at, you know, paying attention to alerts or anything else. I was looking at refrigerators and about to spend a bunch of money too. About to spend a lot of money on a refrigerator. Um, and it just so happened at one point we're getting close to lunch. I pulled out my phone and I had um, basically blown up on um, Instagram by, by uh, big Ben PC. And he's like, dude, like, look at this listing. Like you, and you know, one logo man, like here's a logo man. It just listed, it just listed like, you know, message a seller. And you know, it was one of those, it was high for the time, but not unrealistically. So it was one of those things where like you, probably submit an offer and like hold your breath and try not to hit the buy it now button while you're waiting to hear back. Right. You give yourself, I, I'll be like, I'm giving this 30 minutes and then I'm hitting the bin. And importantly, it had the photos of the back. So you could tell that was an actual pack issued copy. Um, you know, the 2004 Fleer sets are rife with fake patches and so on. And, and this one, Luckily, there'd also there'd been one other one that sold fairly recently, so you could still see on eBay. I think it was a Vince Carter, but you could see the placement of where the stamp was and compare the font and do a little bit more, so you felt pretty confident. Well, um, by the time I got on eBay, it was had sold, mm. and so I waited till I got home. I checked out uh, Worth Point or 130 Point, and it went for a very reasonable amount. And so I was just like, I was shaking my head, and I, I reached out to the seller, messaged them, and I said, "Look, you know." If, see you accept an offer they don't pay like i'm i'm your guy like i will do that and and turned out the he did pay so i had the seller send my information to the person who bought it and i just said like respectfully if you ever you know tell them if you ever decide to sell it there's a guy who's willing to basically almost like be gouged to a certain extent yeah <laughs> for this card and um turned out guys from michigan and uh, very friendly, polite. He said, yep, you know, I, I saw the card. I thought it was a good price, so I wanted to buy it. Well, a couple months after that, he hits me up on Instagram. Um, and he's like, hey, I just, I, I'm, a, you know, he, I think he collected his, collects Tom Brady. And before it was fashionable to collect Tom Brady. Mm -hmm. And he had gotten some key memorabilia pieces um, that were at one of the big auction houses. And he said, I remember you said that you were interested in this card. I have some stuff that I, is more, key to my collecting that I'd like to get. And so here you go. And so we were able to work out a deal and do a, you know, do a deal for that. And it's been in my collection ever since. And I just, I could not believe the dumb luck, you know, of all the times you send the message of, Hey, if you're going to sell this, if you're going to sell this, let me know, let me know, let me know. And it's just like, never pans never. out. Right. That's what I was going to say. Never work. Um, and then the funny thing is too, is the seller had said, you know, Oh, I took this lower offer too. Cause the card has some chipping on it. And I just wanted to be fair with the price. And I thought of all the, like, you know, 
of all the like grail level cards for a player collector, not only do you get a guy who who starts off with a reasonable asking price, is also willing to negotiate fairly based on the card's condition. Right. Um, you know, but but again, it just I I still can't believe it all worked out for that because um, again, that's a card that I think if it came up for auction now it would would go for. Uh, I mean, an amount again, I just could not possibly paying a, a, a justify paying a cash price for. So um, that's 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 super special to me. Well, the timing was right, and uh, even you know you made it despite the refrigerator breaking down. I'm assuming you got a, the refrigerator replaced as well. We're able to spread all those funds out, and everything worked out for you. I had a hunch when I asked you for your top three, and I did see that card was pinned on your profile. I said, you know what, that one's probably on there, probably should be on there, but you never know. That's what I like about this activity. And um, we'll make sure that you get those cards reposted or I'll try and share some of those cards. So when this episode airs, everyone can see that as well. So Josh, I joke about how much I hate your team and, you know, everything I said today was, was obviously in jest. Uh, This conversation was a lot of fun for me. I, I really enjoyed it, especially because our teams have so much history and I appreciate you taking the time out of your schedule to come on the show. So before I let you go, I want to give you a chance to plug your social media handles, and then anything you're working on or anything uh, specific that you're looking for. These next few moments here are yours. Thank you, Kyle. And it's been a pleasure chatting with you. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to share my thoughts around my collecting and around my Pistons fandom. Um, I'm on Instagram as Mitten State Collector. That's my only uh, social media handle that I I do for cards. And really, I just want to let anyone who's listening to this know if you have questions or there's things about cards you want to talk about or there's any cards you're looking for, um, please feel free to drop me a message. I'm always more than happy to chat. had countless folks in the hobby who have been so helpful to me over the last couple of years, finding cards, figuring out values for tough cards, any of that, I'm more than happy to return that favor and pay it forward. Um, aside from collecting um, pistons, especially those with the connection to the 2014 um, and Ben Wallace from, from any of his playing days cards, um, there's two sets that I'm working on as fun projects. It's just kind of a continuation of, you know, a way of um, continuing what my uncle started with his form of collecting. The first set, I am annoyingly close to finishing. It's the 2013 Spectra set. Okay. Um, and I only need one card out of it. It's Nerland's Noel. Uh it's his rookie card. It's his base rookie card. There's two copies of the gold on eBay right now. I don't want gold. I want the base. It's like a $5 card. I'll give someone like 20 bucks for it. Just, it, it's just not that. showing up. I just, it's, it has not shown up in like a year and a half. Okay. Um, some, some, anyway. Hold on. Someone out here has that. So if you're listening, I will buy the card if I have to. We got to get this card to Josh. Dig that out of your quarter box. We need this Nerland's Noel. Okay. I'm sorry. Proceed. Okay. Um, And it's funny. I'm not, I'm I'm usually not a big Panini person. I know it's fashionable to crap over Panini. I don't crap over Panini for, for their stuff. I thought Spectre is actually a pretty cool, interesting set. That's why I wanted to build it. Um, But the second one um, that I'm, that I'm working on is the um, tops and Bowman master set for Ben Wallace. I have a link on my Instagram profile, the cards that I need. Um, there's there's actually two that I, as far as I can tell are basically ghost cards that I have not been able to find. Um, the first one is actually, it's two from the same set. It's uh, rip cards from 2007 tops. Um, just like in some of their baseball products, they had um, rip cards with a little pull tab on the back where you could open the card and reveal a mini 
extra short printed um, one inside. I'm looking for the full size card. There's um, it's card number nine, card number 29 that have Ben Wallace on them. Don't care if they've been ripped. I just want them for my binder. Um, and the other one that I've been not unable to find even photos of is um, Ben's 2004 Tops Marks of Excellence Auto. It's unnumbered, but from what I can tell from other players in his player group um, with pack odds, very long um, odds. There's probably only a couple dozen copies of that card um, if they were all pack inserted. So those are those are the ones I'm really looking for in, in addition to um, anything else that's on that list. And again, if you have a 2006 Tops Chrome X Fractor, I'd love to talk to you. You have a 2008 Tops or Bowman Red Refractor, would love to talk to you even more. So that's uh, that's what I've been working on. And thanks again, Kyle. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. And um, might be the first episode though of your podcast I skip in a while because I'm <laughs> probably not going to be a real psyched to listen to my voice for as long as you've let me talk. It, it is a uh, a hard thing to do, but Josh, uh, like I said, really enjoyed the conversation today. So thanks again. Thank you. All right. Well, there you have it. I want to thank Josh again for taking the time to chat about his collection. Maybe there was something we talked about today that resonated with you. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. You can find me on Instagram under at Wax Museum Podcast or Twitter under the handle at Wax Museum PC. If you enjoyed this episode, I encourage you to support the show by doing all of your eBay purchasing through the link on my site, which is www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. There's a big eBay logo at the top. Click that and it should give me a small percentage of whatever you purchase in the 24 hours that follow. Once again, that's www.waxmuseumpodcast.com. In the meantime, if you like the content I'm providing, please subscribe, rate and review on iTunes, Spotify or Google Podcast. Hit up the Podbean site for a link to the merch store. Tag Taco Bell and let them know they can pay me in burritos. And until next time, this is the Wax Museum Podcast.